0: So um, we're going to deal with this fascinating um, subject, the end, right? Um, Fascinating truth um, that we are going to live um, forever. And I'm going to be reading from um, uh, the third chapter of uh, the Gospel of John, but then referring to numerous passages in the Bible. You know, there's two ways to deal with the Bible. One is to take uh, books of the Bible and study books of the Bible and, uh, and kind of go passage by passage by passage, and then the preacher kind of camps in that one passage. He draws references from other parts of the Bible that, that would help us understand that passage, right? That's one way to study the Bible. That's what we were doing we studied the book of Acts all through um, uh, the fall, and that's what we'll be doing starting next week when we go back to the book of Acts and finish uh, the, the biblical story of how the church goes from the resurrection of Christ and spreads Um, to the world, okay? There's another way where we say, all right, what does the Bible say about the Holy Spirit? Who is the Holy Spirit? Where we draw from all over the Bible, right? All places of the Bible. What does the Bible say about salvation? What does the Bible say about creation, right? All sorts of subjects. What does the Bible say about marriage? What does the Bible say about divorce? What does the Bible um, say about all manner of things, right? Uh, and so we pull from various parts of the Bible, and that's what a, a sermon series on the confession of faith has been doing, and uh, so that's what we'll be doing this morning. We talk about what does the Bible say about what happens after we die? What does the Bible say about the future? Got it? So stand up, and, uh, and we'll start with uh, John chapter 3, if... Um, If the clock that's recording the time of my sermon has already started, that is an error. Um, These were preliminary remarks that I think uh, in the Bible it says somewhere should be discounted. Um, So reading from John chapter um, 3, very familiar scripture to many of us, starting at the 16th verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And then that chapter, John chapter 3, ends with this verse, verse 36 Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life and whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life but the wrath of God remains on him. Father, we are um, stubborn and we are fools and uh, we are ignorant and we are willful and not one of us would bend the knee to you um, of our own volition. And you could have let us run headlong off the cliff of eternity. But in your kindness, you've sent your mercy and grace. And only if we belong to you, if we're headed to a glorious future, it is only because you have been so kind to hard-hearted rebels like us. And Lord, we recognize that nothing we could do could have... um, put us in the, the camp of those who belong to you. And Lord, I pray for those in this room that haven't yet, um, ha- haven't yet seen. Would you have mercy on them like you've had on us? Would you there open their eyes to see the foolishness of butting heads with the creator of the universe, the utter foolishness of that, and that before it's too late, they'll run to safety with you. I pray this, I pray this earnestly, I pray it with all my heart, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated, please. So here's the question this morning, do you realize you're going to live forever? It's an astounding thing. I'm convinced we don't think about it very much at all. Do you realize you are going to live forever? I'm not saying you're not going to die bodily, your body will die, everybody's body dies, that much is certain, right? Um but that we're going to live forever. We have souls that will live forever. One day we will have bodies again too, forever. Everyone lives forever. Do you know that Moses and Pharaoh Tutankhamen um, are still living? Isn't that wild? Think about this, that um, George Washington and Abraham Lincoln are still alive. Um, Harriet Tubman and Robert E. Lee are still alive. Sitting Bull and Eleanor Roosevelt are still alive. I have no idea why I paired them together, but they are still alive. Um, Jim Thorpe, Jesse Owens, Babe Ruth, they're still alive. Your great-grandparents are still alive. Harold Eich, still alive. Teresa Roseborough, George Williams. Likely Puckett, they're all alive. Do you realize when you die, it's not the end of your story, it's just the end of the first chapter of your story? In fact, maybe to get really the scope of it, it's the end of the first paragraph of your story. We talk about the end like, like we're coming up against the end when we get older. We're not anywhere close to the end. There is no end. Do you realize that it changes everything so are you living now with that future in your mind are you taking action now to secure your future when I would go home as a as a child with a report card it was never a happy day in my life and I just remember the disappointed look on my mother's face as she would look over my report card and she would I just think she would say every time she needed new material she'd just say every time the same thing she'd say Raymond Raymond, you're just closing doors on your future. You know, if you're not going to try any harder in school, you're just closing doors on your future. She was trying to say to this willfully stupid young man, what? Look to the future, right? What you're doing now has an impact on the future. Are you living with the future in mind? So this week, early this week, we heard of an airplane flying from the Bahamas... Um, Two guys in the back lounging. They've been fishing in the Bahamas. Pilot up front uh, flying the plane. And uh, suddenly the pilot uh, turns to them and says, I don't feel well and um, slumps into um, uh, being unconscious, uh, unresponsive. And these two guys now are sitting in an airplane. Neither one of them knows how to fly an airplane. They haven't got the faintest idea. The airplane uh, starts to plummet towards the water uh, below them, right? That's the situation. They don't know how to fly. What's their future prospect? Right? What's their future? They've got to take action now, right, Uh, to secure their future. But they don't know how to fly, right? So they get on the um, uh, communication system and uh, they start to ask for help. And finally, somebody comes on and says, Where are you? And they said, We have no idea. We have no idea. Well, look out the window. What do you see? They said, I see Florida. You know, not many people say that with glad, gladness, right? I see Florida. And, um, and there's somebody knowledgeable enough that can secure their future for them and leads them to land in West Palm Beach uh, Airport. Um, here's the question. Have you consulted with somebody knowledgeable enough about the future that your future is secured? Because you can't secure it yourself. But there's someone who can. We're going to talk about it right now. And it's a matter of some urgency, you know. I remember about 12 years ago, I was in an emergency room with my mother in West Palm Beach, Florida. About three in the morning, a surgeon comes in and says, we're going to operate uh, on your mother right away. And I said, whoa, 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 whoa. But I think I should get a second opinion about this. And the surgeon looked at me like, there's dumb and then there's really dumb. And um, and said, you, I, "I don't think you understand. I'm about to take your mother, and we're going to rush her to the emergency room, and I'm going to try to save her life. This is not about a second opinion. Your mother will be dead tomorrow. She'll be dead in a couple days for certain. She has to have surgery. This is urgent. There's no time for that. So we're talking about um, this sort of stuff. There is a measure of urgency, isn't there? I mean, honestly." What matters more than this, right? Securing your future that will never end. Ready to go? Got a sermon outline? It's in your worship folder. Here we're going to talk about the return of Christ, okay? There's something that lies out in the future, the return of Christ. We're going to talk about two aspects of that um, this morning. The first aspect of that is that uh, it will entail the resurrection of the dead. All who are dead will be resurrected and the return of Christ. Now, before I really get into that, I got to take one step backwards and answer another question. Before we even get to the return of Christ, we have our death, right? Before there are dead people to rise, you know, we may be those dead people. So, what happens when we die? That's the first question we're going to answer. You with me? What happens when we die? The Confession, Westminster Confession of Faith. We've been studying it over the 500 years ago. One of the greatest documents ever um, written. It explains what Christians believe. It says, the bodies of men after death return to dust and seek corruption. But the souls of the righteous, being then made perfect in holiness, are received into the highest heavens where they behold the face of God in light and glory waiting for the full redemption of their bodies. You got it? John 5. 28 and 29. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in their tombs will hear his voice, and they will come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. There's going to be a resurrection of the dead, but before that, what happens when we die? When we die, our bodies, as we know, decay. They return to the earth, they return to dust, but our souls do not die. The time between your conception, when your life begins, and, uh, and, and uh, our death is but a drop in the ocean compared to the full extent of our lives. Think about that. It is the barest um, amount of time because we live forever. And when we die, the soul does not sleep. There's no warrant for that um, in the Bible. Um, we are alive. When, when we die, if we're in Christ, we're more alive than we have ever um, been. But we live in an intermediate state. We are disembodied souls. You understand that? Our soul is alive. It's in heaven. It's with God. But we do not have a body. Not yet, right? We're disembodied souls. That's why there's a certain silliness around people as they grieve when someone dies, right? They'll say, oh... You know, Uncle Fred, you know what he's doing now? He's playing backgammon up there in heaven, and he's taking money from Uncle Jim and Uncle Phil, right? Uh, And he's cheating. He's cheating. That's how he's doing it. Uh, That's our Uncle Fred. Well, no, he's not actually playing backgammon. He doesn't have a body. That's hard to do. Um, You know, yeah, there's Uncle Jim. He could hit the two iron like nobody. He could stripe that thing down the middle. You know, so we know he's uh, walking the fairways of heaven. Well, it makes people feel better. Uh, and, and one of the great things about being a pastor is taking away all comfort that people have. <laughs> um, the Bible says something so much better than that. There's something so much better than that. We live in an intermediate state, right? Um, but life in, life in this world is good, but life in that intermediate state is far better for those in Christ. Why? Because our souls are perfected. Sanctification is complete. We're not sinners anymore. We're not torn. We're not not self-absorbed. We're what we were supposed to be. And we will behold, behold the unveiled glory of God. You know, one of the hardest things about being a Christian is you follow a God that you've never what? You've never seen him, right? We serve a God we've never seen Now, you might ask, okay, Pastor, I think you trapped yourself in a corner. How will we be able to see God when he has no body? God is a spirit. He has not a body like man. How will we be able to see God when he he doesn't have a body and neither do we? We don't have eyes. How do we see God? That's why God made Brandon Lorenz and you ask him those questions. (laughs) Um, The answer is the Bible doesn't say, but this much is certain. We will be with him. And we will have him in a way that we never have had him. And that will make it the best life we have ever known. What happens when you die in Christ? What happens when you, what did Jesus say to the thief on the cross? This, what? This day you will be with me in paradise. Not someday, not someday in the future. You're not going into some soul sleep and you'll get awakened somewhere in the future. This day, this very day you will be with me in paradise paradise what of the souls that are not in christ when they die the confession goes on to say the souls of the wicked are cast into hell where they remain in torments and utter darkness reserved to the judgment of the great day all right that's what happens when we die for those who belong to god it is glorious but it is in an intermediate state awaiting what it's a we are awaiting the resurrection right The resurrection of our bodies which will come with the second coming of jesus when do we get new bodies when jesus returns remember when jesus ascended into heaven that was uh, this week in the church calendar churches around the world this thursday is ascension day it's 40 days after the resurrection of jesus he ascends to heaven and the apostles are they're stupefied right watching this and an angel has to tell them, all right, go, 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 go resume life, and and the one you saw leave this way will return the same way. He's coming back. That is mentioned 318 times in the New Testament, the second coming of Jesus, that Jesus is coming back. It's mentioned in virtually every book of the New Testament. I think perhaps in Philemon, um, or maybe Third John uh, are the only books of the New Testament where it's not mentioned. You know that every place in the Old Testament, virtually every place in the Old Testament that refers to the coming of Christ, is not about his first coming. It's not about his advent at Christmas time that we celebrate. It's actually a reference to his second coming. It's much more predominant in the Bible. The second coming of Jesus. That's what we're talking about now. First Thessalonians. Describes it For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. You know, sometimes I sit and I look out this window and I wonder, I wonder if it'll be today. I wonder if it'll be the day that he comes. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Those who are dead, see, they will be resurrected from the dead. Our bodies will be resurrected. Then we who are alive, that is people who um, are still alive on the earth, We'll be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Where will we, I mean, by the way, is there any greater word in the Bible than that? And so we will always be with the Lord. Always, always, always with the Lord. That's what we were created for. That's what our souls crave. What a great promise. The description of this is so beautiful because where will we be always with the Lord? In heaven, but where's heaven? We have it described right here. Heaven comes down to earth. The new heavens and the new earth joined as one. All of creation then is heaven, right? Because God is here. The Creator is here in our midst. It's perfected, it's what it was meant to be. We're not going to live somewhere on fluffy clouds. We're going to live right here in a recreated heaven and earth. And the description, leave that passage up there for just a second. The description is this. Um, we're not going to go away somewhere um, with Jesus. That's not what's being described by the Bible. What's being described is the triumphal entry. All people who would have read this understood that when a conquering king is coming back into a city, he's victorious, he's defeated the enemy, he's got the spoils for the whole um, uh, um, people, Um, that some sentry looking out would see the army making its way coming and they would see the king at their front and they would know that there was victory and they would sound the um, herald, you know, all throughout the town. They would open the gates of the city and everyone in the city would rush out to the army. They would run out to where the army is so that they could all share in the what? In the parade, in the victory procession as all of them together would celebrate it, lining the roads, right, as the victorious, conquering king comes back. And you know what the Bible's saying? Nobody's gonna miss it. If you're dead, you're not gonna miss it. You'll be raised to be a part of that procession. If you're still living on this earth when it happens, you're not gonna miss it, right? You're gonna be a part of that grand celebration of all God's people when Jesus returns. Such good stuff what's the last words of the bible the very last words of the bible speaking of jesus jesus testifies to these things saying surely i am coming soon those are the last words of the bible surely my church he says i am coming soon and when he returns all the dead will be raised just as he was raised what does it say in philippians 3 our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body, resurrected bodies. First Corinthians 15, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, right? Christ was the first fruits in resurrection. And then all um, who belong to Christ will be resurrected when he comes again. In the Apostles' Creed, what do we say? I believe in the resurrection of the body, right? Christians who have died will experience a glorious re-embodiment. There will be continuity. You realize that? We will recognize each other. On the other side, when we are given new bodies, we will recognize each other. We will have glorious, resurrected bodies. Um, the, you know, of course, there's an app with an algorithm. You can put in your height, weight, your information. You, know, you can send in a picture from when you're about, you know, in your 20s, and it'll give you a picture of what your resurrection body will look like. So, so I did it, and this is what we came up with. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much spot on. (laughs) Um, Listen, how do we know we'll be recognizable? Jesus was, right, after the resurrection. Moses and Elijah are recognizable at the transfiguration. We can give other examples. We will have bodies that are without weakness or decay. There's a beautiful Eastern Orthodox funeral prayer goes like this, of old thou hast created me from nothing and honored me with thy divine image. But when I disobeyed thy commandment, thou hast returned me to the earth whence I was taken. Lead me back again to thy likeness, refashioning my former beauty, right? Our bodies are returned to the earth. It's a consequence of sin. But a consequence of our redemption is that we'll be given new bodies, bodies that work, right? bodies that are whole. So just a couple thoughts. What difference should this make? What difference should this biblical truth make in the way we live now that we are going to live forever in the presence of the Lord? Well, clearly there should be less fear of dying. Less desperation to prolong our lives. Less of a sense that, gosh, I'm in my 60s, I'm in my 70s, I'm whatever, and the clock is ticking and it's all running out. It's all the sand is sifting through my hands and I've got to hang on because it's all I've got. And I better take vitamins and I better go to the doctor and I better be frantic because it's slipping away. That's not the truth. You're going to live forever. Not only that, with a new body. That would be a whole new freedom about the way we live, less fear. Um, Think of the, you know, God's people throughout the ages have offered up their lives. Jesus offered up his life when he was a young man. Every apostle offered up their life. They gave up their life. They died young. Why did they die young? Because they believed this. They saw the resurrection from the dead. They knew that they could give up their life because they were going to live forever. It changes you gunman breaks into a, a Taiwanese Presbyterian church outside of Los Angeles last Sunday and starts shooting and a physician there dives in front of the shooter, takes three bullets and he's the one who dies in that place because that's what Christians do because they believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. How else should it change us now? We should be, there should be less angst of FOMO. You know what FOMO is? The fear of missing out. You know, that sense that, I, you know, there was so much I wanted out of life and I didn't get it. And, 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 and I've got to get it now. And I've got to retire and, and accumulate money so I can go do all the things I've always wanted to do before I die, right? Less, should be less spending, less hoarding, less living for retirement, greater freedom to, to give and share liberally, greater freedom to lay up treasure in heaven You know, one of the things people are asking all over our country is why are young people walking away from the church? And here's a great answer. Not because they don't believe what the church teaches, but because they don't believe the church believes what it teaches. It's not because they don't believe what the church teaches, but they look at the church and they say, you don't believe what you teach. You live like everyone else. You accumulate wealth, you do anything to get it, then you spend it on yourself. And you try to fit everything in this life so you don't miss anything frantically. Um, let me tell you, going to live forever it really changes everything. And not only that, there should be a greater peace for those who suffer in this life. Suffering is no picnic, right? But what, is, what does Paul say in Romans 8? I consider that the sufferings of this present time aren't even worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. This is a drop. This life is a drop. For some, your body is broken. For some, it's been broken a long time. Your mind might be broken. Your family might be broken. Your marriage is broken. Maybe you were never married. Maybe you never had children. Maybe you never had grandchildren. Maybe all sorts of things in this life have been a horrific disappointment but I'm going to tell you something if you belong to Jesus you will never be cheated never someday you'll look back in eternity and you'll say I can't believe I was so discontent I had no clue I had no clue all that God had prepared for me if you belong to Jesus there is no good thing that will be withheld from you you got it? Should change your life. Should change my life. I want it to change my life. I want to live in the freedom and joy of this. How about you? So, second thing, right? Second thing. Gosh, he's already on the second point. There's only two points. This man is a marvel. Um, the final judgment. So, the return of Christ brings the resurrection of the body the restoration of the body. Christ was resurrected from the dead, so are all who belong um, to him. And then um, the final judgment comes with the return of Christ. Um, What does Matthew 25 say? When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne and before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. How about Acts chapter 17? Here Paul's speaking on Mars Hill at the uh, in, in Athens, right? To pagan philosophers, to unbelievers. And Paul says, the times of ignorance God has overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. You now I just want to stop right there. Because sometimes the church says, you know, what we do when we tell people to become Christians who aren't Christians is we offer an invitation. But that seems pretty casual you know like an invitation is hey why don't you come over you know we're uh, to a book club um no i think i'm just going to stay home and eat a quart of ice cream and watch bachelor you know that's an invitation right come over and uh and have pizza right that's an invitation which you can casually say no i decline the invitation that's not what it says it says god commands all people everywhere to what he commands it, repent, realize the gravity of who you are and what you've done, you've rebelled against your creator, you've been arrogant and hostile towards him, and repent of it, let it break your heart, and it's urgent because he's fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he's appointed, and of you have any doubts, he's saying to these Greek philosophers of the credibility of this man will don't God raised him from the dead right the day is already fixed the confession of faith says in the last chapter of the confession God hath appointed a day wherein he will judge the world in which day not only the apostate angels shall be judged but likewise all persons that have lived upon earth shall appear before the tribunal of Christ to give an account of their thoughts words and deeds and to receive according to what they have done in the body whether good or or evil everyone will stand to give an account right this day is already fixed so look at we we it we in the apostles creed look at the second paragraph of the apostles creed matter of fact why don't we read it together i believe in jesus christ his only son our lord who was conceived by the holy spirit and born of the virgin mary he suffered under pontius pilate was crucified died and was buried He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. Now here it is. From there he will do what? He will come to judge the living and the dead. We profess it. This is what we believe. This is what's coming in the future. By the way, you notice what we read there? Jesus was buried. When they put his body in the tomb, he wasn't there, right? Right? Jesus wasn't in the tomb. His body was in the tomb. His soul was elsewhere. He was a disembodied soul, right, until he resurrects from the dead. That's exactly the picture of what we will be, separated from our bodies for the season until our bodies are resurrected and made new, just as Jesus was. I believe you know, in the judgment, the final judgment we profess in the Apostles' Creed. Everyone will give an account of their thoughts, words, and deed. And they will receive what they deserve from a holy and just God. Now, if you have a, a shred of common sense, you'd be sitting here saying, how could anyone be found righteous? How could anyone be found righteous before a holy God? And if you think you could, you have no clue. I remember when I was a young pastor, used to teach us you're talking to somebody who thinks they're good enough to go to heaven on their own merit. And you could do this little thing. You could say, um, um, suppose you, know, you explain what sin is. Sin is any wrong thought, any wrong word, any wrong deed. You don't actually really do bad stuff. You can even think about doing bad stuff. You don't have to actually say mean things to people. You can just think about saying um, unkind things to people. So well, let's suppose you're so good, you only commit one of those a day. And most of you have committed more than that since you've been in this room. Um, some of you didn't laugh when I showed the Brad Pitt uh, picture. Um, that was a big one. That, that's, a, that's a mortal sin. Um, one a day, one a day. That means at the end of a year, a judge calls you and says, I want to know your record. You proclaim to have a certain measure of righteousness, but there's 300 transgressions on your account. I rounded down to 300. It's actually worse than that, right? It's far worse than that. Maybe there's 300 every day. We're only talking about one year. What about a whole lifetime? And you're going to stand before God and say, I'm righteous. How could anybody be righteous before a holy God? There is a way, there is but one way. It's all in your defense attorney. Because if you go and stand alone, you're cooked. It's you're the fool of fools. This is a righteous judge. And you know, we see it in our world. If you've got to go to a good defense attorney, that really can pay off. You've got to walk in there with your defense attorney. And when the father says, I've looked at your record, it doesn't look so good. This would merit eternal damnation. Then your defense attorney will raise his hands before the judge and there the nail scars in his hands will be the evidence that every penalty that this sin deserves has already been paid, your honor. When the judge says, what about the keeping of my law? Your defense attorney will take off his robes of righteousness and he'll cover you and the judge will say, every law of mine has been perfectly satisfied in the righteousness of my son, Jesus. You belong to Jesus, then you belong to me, right? And because of Jesus and Jesus alone, you will be acquitted just. That's what the Bible says. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. It would be an injustice for God to condemn you if you belong to Jesus. And God is not unjust. He's the exact opposite. He is faithful and just. It is just of God to forgive you your sins. You will go to eternal glory with God because God is just. And you are not held account for your sins because Jesus was in your place. You know, we're saved by works. Just not ours. We are saved by his on our behalf. So what's the point of Judgment Day? What's the point of everything? God's glory. The glory of God revealed in the rescue of so many rebels, right? Right? And the glory of God's justice revealed in the punishment of those who would not soften their heart and repent. So what kind of day will Judgment Day be? It will be a day of glory when justice is done. Do you long for justice? Don't you long for justice? My life has been wrecked the last two months following the war in Ukraine. I can't imagine it. I can't imagine the evil and the suffering. I can't imagine the helplessness of of poor little village people and farm people that will now starve to death, that have seen their children, that have seen their daughters and their wives, the most degrading things done to them, and they're powerless in the face of evil. Magnify that times all the years that this earth has existed, all the horror done. Magnify it by all the thousands upon thousands of little girls who are sex trafficked in our world. Don't you want justice done for every one of them? that could not defend themselves. And their mothers and their fathers, that couldn't defend them. Think of our, our country's own blighted history of, of, of slavery, a slavery that still exists all over the world today. Think of all the children stolen from their parents. God's people crying out for so many years, How long, O oh Lord? Will you forget us forever? And there comes a day where God says, The stench of the rebellion has reached my nostrils, and it is enough. And we should rejoice. And MLK's grave in Atlanta, if you haven't gone, you should go and. Thank God for the ministry of that man. The very words are there, I think, from the book of Amos. Let justice roll down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. God will not let all who crush the innocent go unpunished. It will be a day of glory when justice is done. It will be a day of terror. I can only thank God in his kindness that even as a child, I knew that the most foolish thing any person could do was to defy God. Every one of us defies God. But by his justice and, and mercy, he, by his mercy and grace, he opens our eyes to see the foolishness of that, right? And I'm praying that you'll experience that today if you're still, in, if you're still defying him. And I hate it when people die and everyone around them says they're in a better place now. Oh no, they're not so many of them. Look at what the Bible says in Second Thessalonians. It says, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his might. It will be a horrible day. It will be a, a glorious day. It will be a day of terror, but it will be a day of satisfaction as well. We live with a hole in our soul. You know, very often in life we say, someday when I grow up and I can live on my own, you know, when you're a child, you say, that's going to be when, that's it, that's going to be life. And someday, you're you're a little girl, you say, if I could get a boyfriend, you know, that'll give me life and, And then if I could go to the right college, if I could get the right job, if I could accumulate enough money, if I could have that cottage on the beach, if I could, you know, have that boat, if I could have the nice things of this world, then I'd have life, you know. If I could have a a husband, if I could have a wife, a a woman, might say, the day I could hold my own baby, my very own baby in my own arms, that's the day I'll feel complete. And then life goes on and on and on until the day you say, you know, someday if I could only move to Citrus County, Florida. (laughs) At that point, you're pretty desperate, aren't you? (laughs) grasping and you know what nothing nothing you ever get satisfies you until this day and this day you will say for the first time i feel whole scotty scheffler's a golfer he won the masters perhaps the most prestigious golf tournament one of the most prestigious things any athlete can do in any sport and he went into the last day leading the tournament And he's a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said he wept uncontrollably that morning, feeling the pressure when his little wife said to him, Does it really matter? If you shoot 10 shots over par and you make an absolute idiot out of yourself, does it matter? Jesus loves you. Everything you need in this world, you have. Nothing that happens today. If you win this golf tournament, they give you the green jacket, you're the master's champion. And he won, and part of the reason he won, he said, because he didn't really care whether he won or not. It didn't mean as much. Because there's only one thing that will ever fill us. On this day, it'll be the first day we've ever said, I'm home. I'm home. So, um, are you ready? Don't be a fool. You know, when I went to college, I went to college in Mississippi and there's kids that told me about this hurricane named Camille. It came in 1969 to the Mississippi Gulf Coast and people were so excited about this big storm, they went down and partied in condos and houses along the ocean to experience the wrath of nature. And this is what it looked like the next day. They didn't even find them. They couldn't even find those people. They partied. Do you know when I got to this point in the sermon last night, the skies opened up. I'm not kidding. And the rain beat against this building so hard that I thought, boy, you're perfect. Preacher needs help. You're bringing the sound effects big time. Can I say to you with all my heart, you can't land the plane. The flood is coming. Get in the ark. Get in the ark. And you will live forever in the most glorious future. Run to Jesus. Would you bow your heads right now? Lord Jesus, for those in this room who resist you, may you help them to see that whatever they've done, whatever foolishness they've done, whatever's on their record, they're really no different than every other person in this room. None of us has a record except for the one that you earned for us, the one that covers all our sin. Lord Jesus, would you soften hearts in this room? Would you soften the hearts of those who listen to this podcast? Would you soften to the hearts of all who come within the hearing of your word? Lord, would there be people even today who say yes and they take shelter in you? Do it, Lord Jesus, and for those of us who have experienced your kindness in revealing what fools we are and how hard-hearted we are, and yet you broke in, and you caused even fools like us to bend the knee and run to you, then fill our hearts with amazement that we're the recipients of your grace and mercy. Hear our prayer, Lord Jesus. Thank you for rescuing us. Rescue more, we beg you.